when I was a subcontracted consultant for the Pentagon, it was obvious that the people there had no idea of what we were facing. The notion of economic warfare was so far from their minds they couldn't even grasp it. I heard, oh, this isn't in our swimming lanes. I heard, we're the strongest nation. No one would dare attack our finances. I heard, but, but China, they're our friend, they're our banker. They'd never harm us. At the very top of the Pentagon, there were only a handful of people who were even willing to discuss the idea of economics, let alone act on it. And one of the very rare exceptions was someone they called Yoda, who headed the internal what-if think tank of the Pentagon known as the Office of Net Assessment, or ONA. And the man who started ONA was Andy Marshall. And when I met him, he was close to 90 years old and he'd served under eight different presidents. Now, Andy Marshall was a powerful man and one who clearly understood the threats that we saw, both domestic and foreign, including China. I spent a good deal of time with him because uh, actually in the law, in the Defense Authorization Act that was passed one year, there was a requirement that Andy Marshall in the Office of Net Assessment study the research report I'd written, Economic Warfare Risk and Responses, and they had to write a paper to determine whether or not they believed it, if it was a true threat or not. Now, I worked hard to keep my report unclassified, and I was able to do that, but the ONA report that they produced, that I was a big part of, and I met with them you know, week after week after week to explain it, that is completely classified. It's not available today because Andy Marshall's work on this was phenomenal. And I'll tell you, Andy Marshall knew that, yeah, China, you can't call them necessarily our friend. He saw the risks, he saw the opportunities, and he and I agreed that China was already waging economic war against us. Now, Andy Marshall's a brilliant man, and he's a faithful American. He passed away just a few years ago at the age of 97. I last saw him in 2014 or so, just before he retired. I share all of this because we have John Malden back in the economic war room. And John, too, was a friend of Andy Marshall. In fact, John was one of the smart people that Andy Marshall would turn to and ask for his opinions on the stock market, the economy, and the globe. John's a great friend of the economic war room. We're pleased to have him back. He's one of my favorite guests. Welcome, John. You're welcome. You brought back memories. <coughs> Andy was special. I mean, when you realize that he was first appointed under Nixon and reappointed by every president and every secretary of defense. Um, I mean, he first, the first president when he was at Rand was, was Truman. I mean, he's, he's, it's, it, we could spend hours on Andy. I mean, he recognized that Russia was the Potemkin village in 1976. He and Schlesinger figured out that the CIA and the, Sec and the Department of State did not who were thinking that Russia was an economic powerhouse? Oh, they thought Russia would pass our economy yeah, in that's, a short order. That's, that's what they were saying, and and Andy Marshall was saying, no, they're bankrupt, they're broke, and he's he pioneered the the um, study and the thinking of inferential thinking, uh, along with another guy by the name of Jim Williams. But it's the the, the point is that Andy was he was a special guy, and for whatever reason. Uh, he started bringing me into meetings with economists. I mean, people that were named. He could bring then, anyone in the world in. He was reading your stuff, and he knew you had something. Yeah, yeah. And he would bring me in, and he kept asking me back. And then he would invite me to these week-long uh, uh, camps at the uh, 
Naval uh, Warfare, Naval War Academy. Um, Naval it, War College, it's Naval in, Rhode College, Island. Yeah, in Rhode Island. Yeah, I've been Those there. Those are great weeks. Uh, but I finally said, Andy, why am I here? And he says, I mean, because, I mean, he, he, like I said, you can get anybody. He says, well, you don't think like an economist. And, and I, I thought about it. I said, okay, I'll, I'll take that. Thank you, sir. Uh, but he mentored me. He would just send stuff to me. It was, uh, and I was at his retirement, and you'd see vice presidents and former secretary of states and, uh, in, in the room. Uh, the um, um, It was, and then after he retired, uh, I would every time I was in uh, D.C. I'd go back and visit him in his apartment uh, in Alexandria, um, and he just even two weeks before he died, he was still focused on China. He was laser sharp focused for the last six to eight years on China, and some of the stuff that we did at the Naval War College, um, he had groups that only thought about China. You know, it's funny. Um, I spoke at the Defense Intelligence Agency. Mike Flynn had me come in and speak. And the head of the China House at DIA looked at me and said, you think China may be a threat. No credible China expert believes what you believe. I said, really? He said, nope, not one. I said, well, how about Gordon Chang? Oh, Chang, he's just a media guy. Okay, I get that. How about Mike Pillsbury? He's, oh, Pillsbury, I can't stand Pillsbury. And said, how about uh, Andy Marshall? Boom, I had him right there. <laughs> So let's talk China. Tell me, you know, this has been a powerhouse nation. They've developed rapidly and they've um, changed the world over the past couple of decades. Well, first of all, you, got, you have to give them kudos. They pulled 250 million out of abject middle-aged poverty and pulled them into the real world. And they moved them into the cities. That's the biggest migration in the history of humanity by a factor of 10 in that time. It's, it's been amazing. Right, and it's created an enormous economic Enormous activity. economic growth. So... Um, and good on them, fine. Uh, we were talking at lunch. Uh, I don't care about 90% of the economic activity that China does, the stuff they produce. I mean, I don't care if we buy T-shirts or iPhones from them. Uh, I or don't even care. automobiles, you said. If they want to produce an automobile, I mean, we buy automobiles from Korea and Japan and, and Germany and France and Italy. I mean, I don't care. Um, those aren't what I would consider strategic. Strategic things where <clears throat> China is now, especially under Xi Jinping, is clearly not our friend uh, long term, short term. Uh, we don't need to be helping them. I mean, so, yeah, chips, AI, robotics, not so much. Yeah, consumer goods you're fine with. If they want to produce coffee and sell us coffee or buy Star, Starbucks, I don't, I mean, not, not that they're doing this. I'm saying if they want to do stuff like that, I don't care. That's just good old Adam Smith, Ricardo, whatever. Right. Um, you know, very classic economic stuff. Um, but there's a threat beyond that, isn't there? Well, it? the... the the, the, the problem is, from the U.S. standpoint of view, I mean, the reality is that we're pretty much the hegemon right now. Uh, even though there are third world countries with nukes out there like Russia. Uh, right, under some underground. We're going to have to take a break. Okay. When we come back, I want to talk about what Andy Marshall and you might think about China today. 
John, you were saying, for consumer goods, we love China producing, that's fine, there's no problem with that, but there are certain goods that are concerning to you. Right. And well, there's I mean, a potential threat. What would you and Andy Marshall say about China well, today? Well, I don't want to speak for Andy. Um, but we, we need to recognize that they've, they've been very clear. I mean, you got the Pillsbury book here, um, uh, you know, Jonathan Ward's written about it. They've been very clear <clears throat> that they, when, when Mao took over in 1949, he laid out a hundred year plan. And um, 19, you know, 2049 is that, that hundred year plan. They expected to be um, the equivalent of, of any world's power by 2049, and they're on that path. Yeah. Xi Jinping is clearly on that path. Uh, under Mao, they would have never made it. Uh, Deng Xiaoping put them a long way. Deng Xiaoping was very important. Xi Jinping is, I think, is making a classic mistake um, in that, and he's making the classic communist mistake, the classic top-down mistake, in that he's saying it's, I mean, whereas Deng Xiaoping said, okay, for the, for the country to prosper, a few must be able to get rich. Um, and Xi Jinping says, oh, it's okay to be rich, but not too rich. Yeah, You've got to give back. And so entrepreneurs are looking at him and says, well, what's too rich? And if you get too rich, then you've got a, a party member sitting on your boardroom looking over your decisions. Now, if you, at that And you point, might disappear for a while, yeah. like Jack Ma did. Yeah, well, if, if you're an entrepreneur, you don't want somebody second-guessing you. That's just not the way you want to run your restaurant or your business or your manufacturing facility, let alone if you are doing something that's actually sensitive and, you know, <clears throat> risk-taking, because let's... Let's look at the enormous amount of risk that it takes to make chips, okay? I mean, cutting-edge chips, not the, the stuff that you can, everybody, everybody knows how to produce now. Well, the chances are that you're going to fail. And in an environment like China where you're risking your money, it's one thing. Now when you're risking your money and the government's looking over your shoulder and saying, well, you should have made that decision, you're out. Um, that's not what entrepreneurs need. I think he's going to tamp down the, the entrepreneurial risk. And by the way, <clears throat> the entrepreneurial risk is in everybody all over the world. It's a, it's a human instinct, not in every one of us, but in a lot of us. Um, and the Chinese people are have their share of entrepreneurs just like any other uh, nationality or race or whatever. Sure. In fact, John Templeton once told me they're more entrepreneurial than most. Yeah. He told me, watch China. Um, I, I, you know, and I'd say today, watch India. I mean, just give them the capital, give them the freedom. Right now, they've got a bureaucracy over them. Uh, but you get, you get rid of that. You know, same thing with give, give. I've been to 15 countries in Africa. You give them an opportunity, they'll figure out something. Um, but Xi Jinping is clearly communist. He's clearly communist. He, well, he's clearly top-down. He wants to Command control, economy. Com command economy. He wants to... I mean, now with their technology, they can see who, who you are, what you're doing. You get social credit, you, all of these things. Right. Um, it's... it's um, I, I, think, I think that's going to be a problem for them, especially as they're coming into a demographic problem. Mm -hmm. Um 
mean, the last time we were together, we were talking about uh, jobs. We have a demographic problem here in the U.S. Lots of people don't want to participate in the labor force. Right. They're, they're dropping out. And we're going to have to figure out how to bring more people into our country. We're going to have to figure out the legal immigration issue um, in order to find enough workers. Now, we need to stop the illegal immigration because now we're just letting, we're, we're letting anybody get in and not that I'm against anybody getting in necessarily, but I want to know who you are and why you should be here. Frankly, I think we need to be putting uh, signs at our embassies all over the world that says, yeah, are you young? Do you have a, a college degree, especially in the STEM scientist? You want, if you speak English, come in. We want to give you a visa. That'd be a smart immigration uh, plan. That, that would be. I mean, but China's it, got their the, problem. It, 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 but see, nobody wants to get into China. People want to get out of China. Well, and then the, they had the one-child policy, and now the two-child yeah, policy. They've, but, they've limited their they, they've, 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 they've structured population. their growth. They've, they've got um, all of that problem. And, and, uh, but finishing up that last thought, everybody wants to get into the United States. That's, our, that's, one of our, that's one of our strengths, and we're not playing to it. We should be figuring out how to bring the best and the brightest into the United States. Look at Silicon Valley. The most many of those successes have been first first year immigrants. Right. Uh, we need to be bringing more people like that in. So, but China doesn't China, have China that can't, ability. China doesn't have that. So they throw bodies at it. Um, I, I think they're going to have issue now. Will Will they improve? Will they grow? Now, will they become more of a concern? Yes. Uh, not in 2022. Um, Xi's not going to do anything till he gets past his October Congress. Um, you're not going to stir the rocks or stir the, 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 the sauce until past in 2023. Everything's up for grabs. I mean, and anytime something happens, he says, Taiwan, Taiwan, Taiwan. But, uh, you know, he, they don't, you don't really... think that that's where they're going. They've got an internal problem, though. They've, they've got Evergrande. They have internal issues. Oh, they've, 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 they've funded an enormous amount of their growth has been funded by credit which has come out of the savings of their citizens. And just like in the United States, we've been taught seemingly that stocks never go down. They've been taught that real estate never goes down and the government's there to back them up. And um, the Chinese have put so much of their savings into um, uh, housing. And second and third house, because that's how you grow rich is by houses. Um, that's the, the avenue for the little guy. Are they facing their 2008 like we had? No, or? no, no, because we really did it on uh, thin credit, no money down, no interest, you know, uh, where, where the, 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 you know, the bartenders were buying, uh, buying and flipping homes. Whereas the Chinese, you know, you buy a house, you've got to put real hard money down, a lot bigger percentage than we do in the U.S. now. Um, and so they make, they take their savings and they go buy a house. And so now there's still a lot of credit. There's an enormous amount of credit in that system. And there's, there's never just one cockroach. It's not just Evergrande. It's just not two or three companies. There are a lot of them are going to be having that problems. And so China is going to have to come in and backstop that. That is going to create a problem for their economy. Um, you can't keep compound. Trees can't go to the sky. You can't compound at six and eight percent forever. Um, now, they do have two thirds of the country and the peep number of people that still have not. They're still living pretty 
um, meager lifestyles, you can still raise them up. But it's, it's, they've got some good visions. Um, well, we have to take a break. When we come back, let's talk about the investment potential in China and around the world. So, John, we're talking China, and, and they're going to have some struggles. There's no question. And they have broad aspirations, and they have leadership that, that may be going the wrong direction for both China and the world. But as an investor, put your investment hat on. Where would you put money and why? I would not put any money in China. Straight up, uh, I don't trust their auditors. Uh, I mean, you know, right. um, I, they won't let U.S. auditors come in and look at it, even co-audits. Um, no, I don't. Do, I mean, I've got lots of places to put money. Um, I, I write about this all the time. People say, John, you're so bearish because I don't want to put money in index funds or I don't want to put money in bonds or whatever. No. If you look at my portfolio, I'm fully invested. I'm, ag I'm, ag I'm aggressive. I'm just not aggressive in the stuff that people want to sell you. Um, would I have uh, money? Do I have money in different parts of the world? Yes, I have managers that have me in different parts of the world. But I don't want anything in China simply because I don't know what China is. There have been so many frauds there. There's no real like in accounting. Co coffee type stuff. Yeah. Uh, just, no, I don't need that. Now, flip side of it is, would I invest in a U.S. company or a European company, Japanese or, you know, company that is making money in China? And doing business in China. Doing business in China? Yeah. Yeah. Because then I, I can see whether they're making money and how reproducible those rights are. And are they doing something that... Uh, the Chinese government is going to clamp down on or, um, you know, something that they want to control. Uh, but that's predictable, unlike, yeah. uh, unlike a balance sheet that may be completely phony. Right. I mean, uh, uh, who, who was it, the, the guy that did the China Hustle movie? Right. Right. They'd go in and they'd have a factory and it'd have one name on it one day, then they'd bring another tour group through and they'd have a different name on it the second day. Right. Which is, goes back to your Andy Marshall example, the Potenkin villages. That's, you know, there, there's that risk in China. Even though the growth is real, there's the risk of the hustle. Well, there is, and, and you know, a lot of money's been made in China. I've got a good close friend of mine that was a first-round investor in Alibaba. He's, he and his clients are very happy. Uh, I mean, that's, that's been one of those, you know, 500x things. Um, but getting it out, getting it, you know, there, that's, that's an issue. So, so it's, not it's, China. Where would you go? Well, right now, I actually like the U.S. Uh, I like biotech. I like tech stocks. Um, I, you know, I, I think the bulk of your money should be in uh, what I call core portfolio. And right now, used, used to be that would be a lot of bonds and fixed income. You can't get garbage for bonds these days. So... Um, I look for income opportunities. There are some mutual funds and places where you can get some, some income, but most of the place, places that I look are private investments, private credit, private, um, um, uh, you call them hedge funds, but they look more like uh, cash flow vehicles. Um, and you can, you, know, you can get high single digit. It's boring. I mean, this is not... This is not this is not exciting stuff. Um, but compared to what you said uh, last time we talked, where you said that the economy may eke out one percent per year for a decade, 
Oh, the, the, the high single digits actually sounds pretty exciting. Well, I think high single digits is exciting. And then so I, I have that as my core, you know, say 70, 80, 90 percent, depending on how old you are and what your needs are and how much risk you've got in your own personal life and biz, business. And then the rest of it, that gives me some comfort to have some explore so that I can go play with my biotech and my technology stuff. If you were going to explore outside the U.S., you, you mentioned India earlier, would, would you look, I, I would, or are you waiting and watching? Well, I, I would look in that whole, that's, that monsoon area. Uh, there's some opportunities, and I would, want a, I would want a manager that is on the ground in the area looking at that. Um, you, you, you've got to have, you, you can't have somebody choosing um, uh, stocks in India that's sitting in New York. I, I remember going with Mark Mobius on a research oh, yeah. trip uh, when I was at Templeton, and the ability to speak the language, to have people on the ground, it made all the difference in the world. Oh, you, you've got to have people on the ground. You've got to have local knowledge. Um, and the locals know who, what's a fraud and what's not, m more so than you do. Right. Um, <laughs> Because somebody can t come and tell you a story and it sounds good, but you've got to have people on the ground that can, can know whether it's real. Um, there's just lots of places that you can put money to work. How about Latin America? There, were, there are parts of Latin America. There are businesses in Latin America. But there again, I want a Latin America expert. I want to, you know, uh, there are companies, there are fabulous companies in Brazil, uh, probably don't want to touch Argentina these days. It's I, I they're getting ready to have some domestic problems again, uh, and again it's like they it's it's they seem to be on like a 17 to 20 year cycle where they, you know, add add another two or three zeros to their uh, uh, <laughs> their currency. Uh, they've been doing that since 1910. Um, it's a shame too because they they had everything going for them. They you know, all oh, these I nations. Do, I, they just need a good system. I, I love Argentina. It's one of my favorite countries. Um, but um, now, owning land and real estate, real stuff in Argentina, that's good. When Argentina implodes again, take some money, go down and buy an apartment on uh, the main avenue. You'll be able to buy it at. 20 cents on what would have been the pre-dollar, pre it'll be a good investment. Um, but, I mean, you've got to be adventurous to do that. Um, and, again, you need help. This is not a novice taking money right. and going down buying those things. Right. So. Yeah, how about Europe? I don't know enough about Europe to be, to be general. I know that there are good individual companies, and there, again, I want a guy on the bank with boots on the ground. Uh, I am not, I'm a macro thinker, so I'm not a stock picker right. um, other than biotechs. Um, but so I, I, if, if I wanted to, to, to be picking stocks, individual stocks in, in Europe, I'd be getting, I'd be going to my European manager and I'd say, okay, here's X amount of money, open an account, put it into Europe. You're not buying an index fund in Europe. I'm though. not buying an index fund anywhere. Uh, John, this is phenomenal advice. You're, you're basically saying don't be alone in a foreign land. It's not a good idea. Right. You need a travel guide. You need a good financial right. advisor. Well, thank you so much for you're, being with listen, us. Listen, it's always good to be with you. We're not, we're not together enough. Yeah, It's great to see you. I always appreciate your advice, and I read you every, every week.
good stuff. It's free. St it's a free letter. I'll get my plug in there. Yes. Just, just Google John Malden. Go to my letter. Put your name in. You're one of my one million closest friends. <laughs> well, thank you. Hey, do you have a financial advisor? If you do, you should nominate them for our training at economicwarroom.com forward slash advisor. And I'm going to beg John to come back and talk to all the advisors we're training. And if you're a subscriber to our free weekly battle plan, you're going to get a recap of this episode and an action plan and links to John's material. You can subscribe free at economicwarroom.com. Remember, what we see as a marketplace, our enemies view as a battle space. This is Kevin Freeman from the Economic War Room.